I'm Terry Casey, uh, and Dave Morgan and I are going to be facilitating this course. There is an email list coming around. Eric Livingston asks us to get those emails so we can send out announcements and coordinate things. Uh, so this is a, a class on emotions, mental health, and faith. I think it had about four different titles before we settled on that one, but um, that's what we've settled on here. How many of you were in here last spring when we did a similar? Okay. Two, three. Ursula was here. I remember you were in here. And you came back? Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we've got a few people. Uh, so the way this class works is, is we have a different speaker nearly every week on a different topic. And there are handouts in the back on that chair next to the door. And so we're going to take a couple minutes and go through these in just a minute. Uh, but because time is so short in these Sunday morning classes, we're going to get right after it here. Uh, so let's take a look. We'll give you a preview of who's coming and what's going to be talked about. Uh, today you get me. We're going to talk about emotions and behaviors and thinking uh, for the therapists in the room. Yeah, CBT, pretty much. Uh, that's this week. Next week we're going to focus on uh, a second part of that. Then February 18th, you can see power and control and the cycle of violence. Amy Alexander, she's the executive director for the Refuge Center for Counseling in Franklin. She is an expert in this field of domestic violence and she spoke in here last year. She's a friend and colleague and uh, you don't want to miss her. The following week is Dr. Frank Scott from Lipscomb. Uh, Frank, first of all, is the nicest man in the world. He's known as that, uh, and he is. I wouldn't argue with that, He's, he, right? So Frank First Scott will be here. He, he runs the counseling center on campus at Lipscomb, but Frank will, come on in. He's gonna talk to us about the scriptures and depression. Then March 4th, Jeff Morgan, who's a, a licensed marital and family therapist, therapist. He's going to talk about effective conflict resolution relationships. The following week, Dr. Alan Godwin, a psychologist here in town. Uh, isn't this an interesting title? Wolves in Sheep's Clothing, Manipulators and Boundary Violators. So, if you've ever heard of the term personality disorder, this is going to be a crash course on interacting with people who have what we call <laughs> personality disorders, or at least some of those characteristics. Uh, Alan speaks around the country on this topic, and uh, you don't want to miss his. People pay big bucks to go hear him talk. Uh, next week after that, Jim Frost, some of you know Jim. He's going to uh, talk on the 12 steps as a model for spiritual journey. Jennifer Lackey, I mentioned her name to somebody earlier this morning already. She's going to talk about autism and sort of a better comprehensive understanding of what we're really talking about with autism, autism spectrum disorders and so forth. She's an excellent child therapist with expertise in that area. Easter, we're not going to schedule anything. Last year the church did something special on that date and it disrupted our schedule. So I'm just going to hold off until we know better about what's going to happen. April 8th, you get me again. I've called this uh, Andy, Opie and more. Understanding Child and Childlike Behavior. Uh, we'll have, I think, at least one clip from an Andy Griffith show. Do you remember the spoiled child episode? Yeah. Remember when Opie tries to imitate the spoiled child and try, tries to manipulate Andy? 
It's beautiful. He's terrible at it. He's absolutely terrible at it. And, and Andy instinctively knows what to do and what not to do. So we'll have some fun with that. Um, then we're going to have Dr. Justin Briggs, uh, How Therapy Works. And Lee Camp's going to be here, I think, on April 29th, talking about some of his own personal experiences uh, relating to these topics. March 6th, excuse me, May 6th, Dr. Joy Samuels. Uh, she's going to talk about peace and contentment, learning from positive psychology, sort of the not fix what's broken, but how to improve and spend more time in peace and contentment and some things. So that's, that will be good. She also has great expertise in that area. Dave Morgan is going to talk about self-care, caring for yourself to better care for others. How many, just curious, how many people in here are in some kind of caregiving role, if you don't mind? To some extent, you may have aging parents, you may have little kids, you may do it professionally. Yeah, so you can get burned out very quickly doing that. Uh, Leslie Owls will be here on May 20th talking about holding on to yourself in relationships. She's going to talk about something called differentiation. And all I'll say is if you're interested in relationship dynamics and your intrapersonal dynamics at all, come listen to Leslie. She has a lot to say. Uh, and then we'll finish up on May 27th. All right, so let me find out kind of who's in the room real quick. Um, so how many, how many counselor, therapists, or even health care of any type do we have in here? Yeah, it's you, and you, and you. Okay, we got a few. All right, good, 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 good. All right. How many had a specific topic that you saw on the list and you wanted to come hear that specific topic? Or you, you're actually in the wrong room. You meant, to, <laughs> you meant to be next door and you're too embarrassed to get up and leave. Okay, well, the formats will be different depending on the speaker, but there is going to be a lot of interaction. There will be some today. I'm just going to jump right in and we're going to get going here. Um, let's see, if I'm forgetting anything else, I think we're good at the moment. All right, so what I want to do today, it's really, it's, it's, it's quite basic if you're a therapist or a counselor because it's well-known technique or tool called cognitive behavioral therapy. But I think it's a good framework to help get you, give you an understanding. By the way, we want to inform and equip as well as diminish stigma and start some helpful conversations. We're not here trying to make you into therapist, but just give you a sample. So here's what I want to do. I want you to just call out an emotion, name an emotion that you just soon not experience. Unpleasant emotions, any kind. Anger. Anger. Another one. <laughs> Keep them coming. Embarrassment. Embarrassment. Well, this is why we have this discussion because that's probably more of a, that to me it's more of a physical state. But that, that's one of the reasons we make this list because there's a difference between thinking and emotions and Hatred. some other things. Hatred. Unfortunately, that does exist. Embarrassment. Somebody else said another one here. Guilt. Uh, all right, so I have to pause on this one. Guilt. 
So what I would say if I had room is I would say guilt feelings because guilt is really a legal term that uh, we use when we're talking about someone who's violated some sort of standard or rule. You know, later today they'll be throwing flags on the football field. You're guilty of holding. You violated a rule. You're guilty of breaking a law. That kind of thing. But guilt feelings are, it doesn't necessarily mean you're guilty. Does anybody know of anyone who had survivor guilt? We've all read about, heard about it. People, have, that happens all the time. Just because you're feeling guilty doesn't mean you necessarily are. You might be, but not necessarily. So guilt feelings. What else? Sadness. Sadness. Ooh, that's a good one. It doesn't usually get mentioned. Thank you for bringing that one up. Seriously. So the one, the one you missed was resentment. 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 Shame. Shame. I'll put it on there. Shame. Frustration. I'm running out of room here. Frustration. Okay, so here's what I would do. I would say if you, if you believe that you are vulnerable in some way, what emotion might you have? Fear, fear or anxiety. So I'm going to put fear. Squeeze in anxiety down here. Pretty good list. And that's not all. We could put, you know, we could squeeze in depression in here. And yeah, we could have an argument about whether or not that's an emotion itself, but I'm going to put it on here. Um, now, interestingly, now I've done this, some version of this for 30 years. And so if I've got a, if I've got a male client that's working, I have a private practice, and I, and I teach in the field and so forth. Um, but if I've got a male client, what emotions do you think they come up with when we're, starting, when we're doing this list? Anger, and they sit there. I'm serious. Many of them can't come up with other emotions off the top of their head. I'm, not, I'm just telling you what I've observed. Women, for whatever reason, women are, have much more of a vocabulary and can come up with more of these. As a group, they are doing quite well. How about hopelessness? Helplessness. We could add those up there as well. Anything else? Worry. Worry. Got to have that on the list. Okay. So we're talking about these emotions. It's, you know, we don't necessarily want to get rid of all these, do we? I mean, some of these have, I see people nodding their heads. Some of these you don't want to eradicate. In fact, a lot of them you don't want to eradicate. Do you want to eradicate guilt feelings? No, because sometimes you need to feel guilty. Sometimes. I would suggest we don't even want to get rid of anger completely. Fear, yeah, there's times where you need to be afraid. There's times, so, you know, when we're talking about these emotions, it's not that they're necessarily bad, it's just that often they end up controlling our lives. Or they, they're so difficult for us to manage or understand that it creates even greater problems. And in some cases, like with depression and anxiety, they naturally become disorders 
And there's a ripple effect out into our lives and it creates all kinds of extra kinds of problems. So, so one of the things I want to do is just increase awareness, but also increase self-awareness. And so as we go through this little exercise here, what I'm going to do is call these, I'm going to put a C here and call all these emotions emotional consequences. C for consequences. Pardon my writing ability. Now over here, I'm going to put activating events. So somebody pick out one of these emotions over here and tell me an event that occurred just before you experienced that emotion. You had the emotion, what event occurred just before it? I'll start us off, because this happens every day. You're driving in traffic, somebody pulls right out in front of you, right? Or some version of that. So that's the event, car pulls out in front of you. A moment later, perhaps I'm angry. Maybe some other emotions too, but that's what happens. So there's an event, and then you feel a certain emotion. Now, what cognitive therapists <laughs> will tell you and I think there's a lot of truth to this, uh, but they would say it happens all the time, is that our emotions are not caused by the events. Okay, people in the back row are saying, yeah, you're crazy. Of course they are. Well, here's how it works though. You have an event, it occurs, you have the emotion a moment later, but there's this in-between thing that happens, it's your belief about what happened. So if a car pulls out in front of you, and a moment or two later you're angry, it's because your belief, your self-talk was, what that person did was unfair, or wrong, or dangerous, or uncivilized, or rude. You have, have self-talk about, and that's what drives, that's what creates the emotion of anger. Follow me? Okay, so activating event, car pulls out. And we can come up with all different sorts. Uh, take sadness, let's say, um, let's say your dog dies and your self-talk is, I won't have my dog to greet me when I come <coughs> home at night. And then you feel sad. Welcome to being a human being, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, come on in. But the problem is a lot of times our beliefs or our self-talk is a little bit distorted. All right, so back to the, back to the car pulling out example. Car pulls out and I, my self-talk happens just like that is, that guy's a jerk. Of course, I would never say jerk or anything. It's really bad when your kids are growing up and you're driving along and somebody pulls out in front of you and you don't say anything if the back seat you hear, moron. <laughs> I don't know where they heard that. They learn it quickly. They learn it quickly. So car pulls out, you tell yourself they're a jerk or whatever, you, get, you feel angry. But do you know why they pulled out? How, how do you? Very seldom do we really know why they did that, right? So we attribute in sort of an 
almost irrational in a random way, right? We attribute what, ha you know, what happened uh, to them being wrong or violating us. Any of you do that? I do. I have to work on it all the time still. So, all right, but let's follow this through. Car pulls out, you say something like jerk. You feel angry, come down here. And there's something what I would call self-defeating behavior. So here's how it would play out. Car pulls out, you say, guy's a jerk, you're angry. You go down the street to the next light, you're sitting there. Now the anger's starting to dissipate. You're starting to go on with your life, but you look over, that's the car. And so you put your window down, you yell and scream at the driver. Learn how to drive, blah, 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 go, but you know, whatever. Or whatever, right? Okay, so you do that. This self-defeating behaviors do one of two things, or maybe both. They either keep the emotion over here stirred up longer than it would have been, and unnecessarily, right? Because this is now on us. We're doing something. No one's forcing us to do this. Or it leads to a new event, to an actual road rage incident of some sort, where they're shooting holes in your car or you or vice versa or something like that. So now you've got this nice little cycle, right? Something happens, we have self-talk about it. Based on that self-talk, we have a certain emotion. Based on how we're feeling, we act out in some way. Let me use a completely different example just, just to illustrate um, another what this can look like. Uh, and this is not my example, it's from a book. Some of you have probably read it. Uh, the example goes like this. A, uh, a young woman on a diet eats a spoonful of ice cream, one spoonful of ice cream. She tells herself, any suggestions? Tells herself, I've blown my diet completely. Failure. I've blown it completely. I think that's what the example says. I've blown my diet completely. How do you think she feels emotionally? Frustrated. Guilty. Guilty. Let's see, frustration, embarrassment, guilty. Maybe even shame, depression, anxiety, work. Maybe take your pick. Seriously, just take your pick here. And then she's feeling so bad. What is the self-defeating behavior it, that, in this case, pushes the emotion out of the way, but leads to a new event? What might she do? It's a gallon of ice cream. Now, I will tell you. In the years that I've done this, with all the adult age women that I've gone through this example with, one, one adult age female did not say some version of that. I'm just reporting to you what I've experienced. So it's not a stretch to come up with that. And it's right there for so many people. So you eat more ice cream. So these self-defeating behaviors that might be eating, because eating ice cream is generally good, right? What are some other self-defeating behaviors? These are behaviors that push these negative emotions out of the way. 
purging, purging, drinking, lashing out at other people. Could, now that wouldn't that wouldn't push these emotions out of the way, but it would result in a new event. But down here, at these self-defeating behaviors, they can be something as ben seemingly benign as eating ice cream, or it can be as dangerous and problematic as getting drunk repeatedly, or having, using drugs, or sex addiction, uh, pornography. Anything that gets the dopamine going in your brain feels good. And we tend to go to that when things are not going well and we're upset and so forth. So we tend to go to shopping for some folks. Go out and acquire things. <sighs> Gives you a sense of relief. So we can plug in a lot of things down here in self-defeating behaviors. With this example about the woman eating the spoonful of ice cream, she tells herself, I've blown my diet completely. She feels horrible in various ways. She eats more ice cream. A little while later, she walks back into the kitchen, sees the empty ice cream carton sitting in the sink or trash can. That's a new event. She sees that. Now what do you think her self-talk is going to be? What do you think? Anybody? What could it be? I'm, I'm what? I'm terrible. I'm terrible? Yeah. Have no willpower? Um, I'll never be successful at this. It can even roll on into things like, I'm never going to be successful at this dieting thing. No one's ever going to want to be with me. No one's ever. Now, you hope that's not, but, um, but it does happen. I'm just trying to illustrate what can happen in this particular cycle. All right. So let me, let me go back again to the car pulling out. The car pulls out in front of you, and you tell yourself that guy's a jerk, and you get angry, and you pull up at the light two blocks down. You look over, and there's the driver. But it's somebody you know. It's Dave Morgan. <laughs> or Mike. No, it's Dave Morgan. No. It's me. It's, it's Dave. And no, it's Frank Scott. Oh. Who is known as the nicest yeah. guy in the world. <clears throat> now what's happening? Now what's happening to your self-talk? Frank obviously had somewhere important to be, or he, his mind was on something else. Or but, but this hasn't changed. This, no. Still, this is what happened. Right. The event has not changed. What has changed? You rationalize your belief. Your interpretation. Your interpretation. Your your self-talk, your belief about what happened starts to be affected because you've got some other information here. So really what happens, whenever, next time a car pulls out in front of you, it's really a multiple choice question, isn't it? With myriad choices. One choice is that person is a, a rude driver who doesn't care how their action affects other people. What, what are some other, I mean just brainstorm, what are some other possibilities? It would explain what happened. And you can be outlandish. Outlandish happens sometimes. Yeah. My dad taught me when I was sitting in the passenger seat that you always expect people to make bad decisions driving. Expect people to not turn when they've got their turning signal on. Expect people yeah. to run red lights. And so I never got to any beliefs about like, oh, that guy's a jerk or anything because I was always expecting 
right? You sort of preempted it. Yeah. But, but when a car does pull out in front of you, it can be, here's our list. The guy really is an, a jerk, or whatever that means. Later, we're going to find out that's right. a distortion you don't want to use they because he doesn't want to. Pick up the kids at school. That, that some, something's going on with them. Yeah. What, what are some things that have gone on with you when you have pulled out in front of somebody by mistake or run a light or something? Got running late, got distracted, sun was in their eyes. Um, the other day there was a trailer that blew a tire and a big piece of rubber went flying up and got cut in front of me. Yeah, and you and I thought, what? And then I saw the piece of then rubber. Then you see what's going on. New information, right? All right, what so so you pull up, you're sitting there at the light, and there's the person and it's um, <laughs> um, I don't know who is it. For some reason, I want to, it's, it's a nun with an asthma inhaler. She's having an asthma attack. <laughs> or, or it's Dave. I don't, I don't know where I even got that. But, but it's, some, it's not what you were expecting. It's not what you're expecting. And, and they're having a hard time. This one actually happened to me. Well, not that one. This next one. Uh, I, there was a guy next to me. And he hadn't run a light. But I was going, what is he doing? Is he going to run this light? And he did. He ran it. And then as he went down the ramp, these internal grill lights came on. And he was going to a wreck that was right down on the interstate. So, but my point is, my point is, most of the time we have no idea why that person did that. But yet, how many times do we choose to believe something that makes us angry? Why do we do that? The same reason if you have a chipped tooth, your tongue keeps going over to the chipped tooth. I guess I'm not sure what that's all about, but we tend to do that almost automatically. I had a client one time many years ago and he, um, he he really did have some problems with anger he was sort of chronically an angry guy and we calculated one time how much time he was spending or gonna spend in the remainder of his predicted lifespan being angry unnecessarily because he was choosing to believe these kinds of comments have this kind of self-talk so that's, he said, yeah, but there are a lot of people out there. That's probably what happened. All right, but what if there's even a 20, 25% chance that it's something else and you don't know for sure? Why not choose to believe the thing that's going to help you feel better and avoid these other kinds of behaviors? That's within your control. And it's our responsibility, too. So why does this happen a lot? One reason it happens is because a lot of people are primed about other perceived injustices. They're sort of already, the pump is primed for them for any little thing to kind of set them off. And we walk around with that a lot because we don't tend to talk about the things that are frustrating to us and we feel helpless and out of control about and, and mistakes that we've made, we tend not to do it. Now, you can do that in therapy. You can do that in counseling. It's a safe place to do that. And so it's one of the advantages of getting into therapy. All right, so, so, so far, let me stop and just see what questions or observations. Some of you have probably heard some version of this along the way. It strikes me that this is what you get better at over time when you're married for a long time. Mm -hmm. That in the beginning, you make all these assumptions about why your spouse is doing something. And then when you get to know them better and you, you realize over time, oh, that's not why they're doing that. So it that Attribution. calms a lot of the conflict. 
attribution. Had a, had a couple in my office um, sometime <coughs> in the past year or two, and this is exactly what was going on. She was, because of her upbringing, how she had grown up, people had picked on her all her life. And she had married a man who was very, uh, very impulsive in things that he would say and sort of had a, a dry sense of humor. And so he would say these things, but she immediately would go to, he's targeting me with that comment and means to hurt me or get a dig in. He wasn't. Clear, to me, clearly he wasn't doing that. He just was not fully empathizing with how prone she was to have the negative self-talk that my husband is trying to do this to me. And so what we attribute events to is huge, and it's largely under our control. Now, if um, what some people will do out there somewhere, people that are, if you go to the Enneagram class, and you get all the ones out of that. Okay, people like me. Uh, yeah, ones. So like Mike and me and a few others. So you tend to want to control everything. Seems like everything should be controllable. Uh, if you're Myers-Briggs, people familiar with that? INTJ probably. What would you think? INTJ. All right. If you're way on that, if you're that kind of person, you might try to put all your effort into controlling these emotions. Or even, but you know, we really can't do, I don't know anyone who can just turn emotions on and off. It just doesn't work that way. So then what do we do? We try to control events that happen to us. You know anybody like that? They put all their energy, time, and effort into trying to control everything that's going to happen, prevent things. And we do this in various ways. We do it... How do you see people trying to control events in their life? What are some ways that we do that? Well, use of, use of uh, emotion, particularly anger or other tugs at, at an emotional response that would get the response that they're looking for. Right? So we try to, through our actions, influence how other people are going to act and Toward us. do things. Think about parenting. Some parents are very, very, very controlling. Others not. I'm not talking about that so much today, but we try to influence our environment. <laughs> we try to influence the people who we interact with. We try to influence the people who are driving around us. Someone who's an extreme like I was talking Well, this morning, how many of you noticed that half the cars didn't have their lights on driving? I did. <laughs> What's the big deal? Why can't you just turn your lights on? It's pouring rain. Turn your lights but unfortunately, I notice things like that. And there's not anything I can do about it. But if I was really out there, I could get behind them and turn, flash my lights, turn your light, you know, or something like that. Some people do some version of that, and they try to control all these events. Let's do a little thing here. Pick out, pick out one of these emotions over here for yourself and an event that preceded it, kind of like we talked about before. And just get some, get, and then if you're willing to share what it is, raise your hand. Yes? Anxiety. All right, you felt anxious. What event preceded it? Large money purchases. Large money like pur purchasing a car. Okay. And my self talk is did you make the right decision? That can't be returned. 
like yes. being up all night looking out the window to see the color of the car. <laughs> we even have a term for that, buyer's remorse, right? I don't know that it's remorse, but it's buyer's anxiety. But, but the event in this case is something you could control. You could make the purchase or not. Let's get another event. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's hard to know sometimes. But the event, in this case, in contrast to yours, this event is not something you can keep from happening. Right. It's out of your control. And relationships are by definition like that because you can't really control what other yeah, people do. Then how does that play out? Because you get woman who I diet eats a spoonful of ice cream. She tells herself, "I'll blow my diet completely." She feels miserable, lousy, hates herself. Eats more ice cream, finds the carton there, tells herself she has no self-discipline. No one's ever going to want to be with her. Perhaps feels even worse. Feels depressed down here. Purges, as someone mentioned. You do this a few times, you have an eating disorder. You do it a few more times, it's a suicide attempt down here or other things. So what I'm getting at at this point, and th these are great, I want it to be discussion because that's, that's really best. Some people will try to control what happens. Most of the things you can't control. Can you control a car pulling out in front of you? Of course not. If you try to do that, how are you even going to do that? Never drive? They might still pull out in front of you. This, there's that bump, you know, bump, what was that? That was, was that a pothole? I don't know. Okay, so, but you can, if your dog, can you control that? No, off, you can't, there's so much we can't control. But yet, because some of us are, have been fairly successful at, and a lot of these, a lot of folks in the room would qualify for this. We've been fairly successful at, at doing A, and it resulting in something we more or less desired be. And that's worked well enough. We keep going back to trying to control everything. Um, you know, if you have diplomas on the wall, maybe if I know enough, I can control, make everything work out the right way. The right way. Yeah, unless you're a parent and then you, you know. Good luck, good luck with that. So, but, so this doesn't really work. If you do this, I only half jokingly say, I'll come see you at Parthenon Pavilion because you're gonna be hospitalized eventually from trying to live your life that way because it's just frustrating. It's not gonna happen. You get angry and resentful and cynical and all those great things. We can't turn the emotions off. A lot of times what we do have to do is put up a big roadblock here and get treatment for say alcoholism or sexual addictions or things like that. Because if you don't stop D, the cycle keeps going. But I say all that to say this, we all, we all have a great deal of influence 
about what we choose to believe and tell ourselves about every little thing and big thing that happens. All the time. So, when I'm driving home today and a car pulls out in front of me, hopefully, I'm going to pause and say, I don't know why that car did that. There could be a good reason for it. I'm glad we didn't have a wreck. <sighs> okay. You know, maybe the adrenaline is going to take a moment to kind of settle out. But with practice and becoming aware of that, but so often we're not even aware of it. These automatic thoughts are happening all the time. And it's like running in the background on your proverbial lap. It's like programs running in the background. They're having their effect. You're just not aware of it. So you've got to become aware of it, first of all. Okay. Other, other examples. I want to make this, yes? Well, I was just curious if you could maybe talk a little bit about how identity impacts belief. So using your example, what if I come in and say, I am the best driver on the road versus I am the worst driver on the road? <laughs> um, if I identify myself as the worst driver, is my self-talk. Okay. Well, what, what I'll do is say this. We have our beliefs... Some of them are rational. Hopefully most of them are rational. If your dog dies and you tell yourself, I'm not going to have my dog to greet me when I come home at night, is that irrational? No. Okay, so hopefully it's going to be rational thinking. But, but so often what we have is distorted thinking twisted thinking, cognitive distortions, whatever you want to call it. Now these distortions, I'm not talking about psychotic thinking where you're, you're delusional. That we're talking about, it's, it's like a, um, it's like one of those mirrors at a carnival. It, the image is you, but it's distorted, right? It's you, but the, it's not really accurate. So the distortion, and next week we'll talk about the distortions because there's, yeah, there's about 10 different types of distortions. And I'll try to email those out to you if you put your email address down so you can kind of look at those and, and rate yourself. So to answer your question about the, you, we have these, we have thoughts about lots of things, including ourselves and our place in the world, but also about what just happened. Um, I hope you'll be here for some of the other speakers because we're going to touch more on that when the other speakers get in here. All right, so th this, is, this is just a basic thing. You can see why I wouldn't just put it on a handout and hand it to you because, you know, how do you make sense of this? But this happens all the time. Other examples? Any emotion? I see this a lot. I have a two and a four-year-old. So it's a very intense phase of life. Sure. So I see this a lot in myself because I, despite my best efforts waking up every day to say that I'm going to have perfect patience, inevitably I get, I'm not like a super angry, but I just get snippy or I'll, you know, just tell the kids to kind of go in the other room or something. And then I just feel so bad about myself. And, you know, why can't I be this combination of Mary Poppins and Betty Crocker all rolled into one and talking <laughs> to Disney voice all day every day? And I feel a lot of shame and anger at myself. And then I'm just grouchy. And so then I'm more likely to do the whole thing again because I'm just grouchy and down on myself and I'm in a bad mood anyway. And so my patience is shorter. And so it's, it's a really, it's very helpful. Thank you for sharing this. One of the things that we can do, because we think using language for the most part, okay? And we've done that since we were about 
a year, 18 months old, something like that. We, we use language to think. We internalize the language. Have you ever been around look at, they, they just say everything? Some adults do that. They don't filter, <laughs> they, they just say whatever, right? But, but most of us internalize our speech, and so we're not saying it out to the air, we're saying it internally, the self, self-talk. Well, listen for certain words. Words like always, never. Those are, t- those are usually uh, in- indicative of some distortion going on because never say never, right? <laughs> or, or always. How about um, musts, shoulds, oughts, have tos? These sort of, these things that are, it's, it, it, you know, th- these things that, that are sort of uh, extreme. But what we do is, uh, like the car pulls up, you know, people are always pulling out in front of me in traffic. Well, no, they're not. It may have happened once a day for three days in a row, but it's not always. <coughs> but, but you hear the difference? When we start programming in, always, 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 I'm targeted. Everybody I ever love leaves me. God doesn't want me to be happy. These kinds of things. Listen to the language that you're using internally. I have a, uh, had a client. He made one tiny change, and it made a big difference for him. He, would, he was he lots of resentments about things that did not go well the way he hoped them to go. He had turned his hopes into shoulds. Okay? He had turned his, what he anticipated would happen into what must happen. And so to counteract that, he started putting ideally, the word ideally in front of everything. Ideally, I would have gotten that job. Ideally, this. So let me tell you about anger. I mentioned this before. What causes anger is our perception of an injustice. Can you, can you think of a situation where you're angry and it's not because you perceived an injustice? It might be an injustice toward you. It might be that I see somebody bullying someone else and it's an injustice toward, or I believe it is. We get angry. We get angry because it's an injustice. But in turn, what we do with our lives a lot of times, we turn what we hope to happen in our life into what should or ought to happen. Advertisers love to say things like, get the, oh, I saw this at a gym, Marky, get the body you deserve. You hear the subtlety in that? You deserve it. It's an injustice if you're not getting what you deserve. Get the deal you deserve. Get the, so we, we change our hopes and expectations into shoulds, oughts, and musts. We use that language. Well, no wonder we're resentful and angry because it's an injustice. If you do it that way, yes. Saying those words is something, I'm very anxiety driven, if you didn't guess by the other statement. Um, that word should, that's where my anxiety comes from and I've never thought of that word before because I say I should have. It's in the past should. tense, I should have. Or shouldn't have. Or, and, and you might make, right. you know, sometimes we look back, yeah, I shouldn't have made that turn, that was a bad, you know, but. Mine is, I shouldn't have said that to them. I should have said, or. Right that kind of thing, and then it dwells with me all day, and it's my self-defeating. Dwell on it. 
you just dwell. How many, if you're anxious and you're just dwell. Anxiety is your mind trying to find an answer. Flipping through the card file, flipping through whatever example you want to use, trying to find an answer, trying to find a way to make this, to fix this. And I'm always very self-aware. I know what's causing this, but yeah. I've never thought of that word, should, because that runs through my head constantly. I should okay. have done it that way. Yeah, shoulds, musts, oughts, have tos, labels. That guy's a jerk. It's another one. So next week, we're going to look at the different kinds of distorted thinking that's out there. Like I said, I'll try to send this out to you. So you can have, I think we're out of time here. So, all right. So thanks for participation. Come on back next week. We'll do part B of this. See you.